There we are. All right, here we are. Good morning, guys. Guys, we are excited that y'all joined us this morning. Man, it's been a fun, interesting ride as we're going through this series called Meals with Jesus. And so if this is your first time, this is actually our fourth week in this series as we're looking at different moments, encounters with Jesus is having meals uh, with different people, Pharisees, and we're seeing Jesus do some pretty amazing, interesting things. And he, he uses these opportunities to either teach, to rebuke, or to, to really just impart more truth in this, in this moment that he has with them. And so we're, we're going to be in the book of Luke. This is where we've been all throughout the series. And specifically this morning, we're going to be at Luke chapter 14, verses 1 through 24. It's, it's a lot to cover, and I'm sure we're going to see a lot of what God is doing. I'm gonna, and the big idea this, whole, this morning is this, is that we must partake of the word to receive the impartation. That we must partake of God's word to receive the impartation and to receive what he has for us, to receive all that it means to be a follower of Jesus. We have to really partake in this. And there's three points I really want to pull from Scripture. And so if you're taking notes, these are the points we're going to be looking at. Number one, partake of his love and mercy. Secondly, partake of his, of his humility. And thirdly, partake of his generosity. Let us pray this morning. Father God, we thank you. God, we thank you that you're in this place. God, we thank you that you're, it is your word that transforms us. From the inside out, God, we ask that you will meet us here today. Lord, that we would come and surrender all things at your feet for it so that we can really become more like you, Lord. God, help us this morning to be able to see what you want to do in us and through us to really make an impact in this city. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, guys, I don't know about you, but I don't know if you've had, like really had planned for something specifically to happen. And like and you thought everything was gonna be was gonna work out great, right? Like you you got what you needed, whether it was a recipe and you're trying to and you're inviting people over for dinner and you're like, man, I already pre-ordered on H-E-B curbside to eliminate time. I practice, you know, this recipe is gonna be great. Or whether it was building something and you're like, you got the materials and you watched, you know, the videos and you did the Pinterest and you did everything. To really prepare for this moment. And then things didn't really turn out the way you thought it was going to be. Right? Like, like theoretically, on paper, it, it looked great. Like, it looked amazing that there's nothing that this plan of yours was just, is, is, there's nothing that can really break it or, you know, really uh, come against it. And then it did. It did. And, and this is just what life sometimes happens. And I remember Tori and I were, were just dating. And, you know, like when you're just dating someone, you're super excited and you really think you can do pretty much anything in those moments. Tori was like, man, I, I really wish I had um, floating shelves in our bathroom, in our guest bathroom. I was like, floating shelves? Like, man, that's easy. I, I mean, my dad was a general contractor. Like, man, come on. Like, I can make floating shelves. And um, did I ever make floating shelves up to that point? No. But there was some confidence in me that's like, man, I'm going to do this. It's going to be great. It's going to be amazing. So, yes, I downloaded the Pinterest. 
right? I had my first Pinterest. I'm reading. I'm watching videos. I already had some of the tools, and I'm, I'm there, and, it, and it's looking great. And, I, you know, I'm building it, and then I, I screwed into the wall, got the stud finder, and I put the first floating shelf on. Oh, man, it's level. It's looking good. I just got to paint it. Got to put the veneer on the front. Oh, it's great. Man, I put the second one on with the drill, right? That's my drill noise. And I get it up. I got to put the veneer on. I got to paint it. It's going to level. It's going to be great. And then I started noticing that the second shelf is like going down. It's like, it's like as if someone's pushing it from the other side of the wall and it's going down. And then it just falls, hits the toilet, hits the ground. And then I hear a noise that I hope that you would never hear. And water starts flirting out of this small hole in the wall. And it's like it's not stopping and it's going and it's hitting me in the face. Water is going everywhere. It is a mess. Grandma is crying and saying, there's water on the floor. And I'm like, Grandma, I see the water. I know there's water on the floor. And it's chaotic. And things didn't quite go as planned. Theoretically, it looked great. But in reality, it, I was all over the place. And uh, you best believe I was humbled in that moment, and it took me a lot of time to build my confidence, but this is kind of where we're at right here in the story in Luke chapter 14. In Luke chapter 14, the, the Pharisees invite Jesus to dinner in hopes to entrap him. In hopes to, to catch him in the act of breaking the law, in hopes of doing this, they plan strategically. They had everything in order. They thought about every little detail. But yet, things didn't work out quite as planned. Let's pick up here in Luke 14, 1, 6. It says, one Sabbath when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Which of you, having a, a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. See, that the Pharisees were amazing at creating religious laws, laws in which they didn't even follow themselves, but were really critical on those who didn't follow them. They got to the point where they pretty much created these rules, which was considered that the Mishnah is what the, the term is, which they listed 39 primary kinds of labor that were not allowed on the Sabbath day. The first of these 11 were pretty much steps in leading on the production and preparation of bread, from planting to cutting it down to kneading it to the whole process. Eleven of, eleven of those were about that. The next twelve were similar, but it had to do with clothing, with shearing the sheep and making clothes in that aspect. Number, uh, the next seven were about preparing the carcasses of deer and the use of food or leather. And then the last remaining were items like writing, erasing, building, 
kindling of fire or extinguishing fires. So they were just really good at creating extra laws, knowing that them or other people could not necessarily fulfill them. But we get to see as we were reading in scripture, we were seeing Jesus' uh, conversations he said that really the Sabbath was designed by God to give man an opportunity to know his maker. To know his maker. It was allowed a time of reflection of God's love, his mercy, his bountiful, his blessing. But instead on reflecting on the character of God, the Pharisees were so caught up and reflecting this, this religious law and how cruel of a character's characteristics that they had or just making sure that people knew that they weren't as good as they thought they were and making them feel lower than they really were. The Pharisees acted as if God just created the Sabbath so that people can to, to use the Sabbath in that way. But Jesus clarified that God has given the Sabbath as a gift to people that he created. See, God created the law to encourage the Israelites to love him and to love others. He never prohibited to doing good on the Sabbath. So we see in Matthew 12, 1 through 12, Jesus is asked a very similar question to this as he healed a man on the Sabbath. And his response was, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. It's not about how much you, you gave up. I desire mercy on the Sabbath. And he said, so it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. So when we're looking at what's happening in this moment, it, it was all a setup. They were trying to set up Jesus. They brought and invited the qualified people, the people of the time, the lawyers, the Pharisees, all these people so they can be unified in their accusation of how Jesus broke the law on the Sabbath. And not only did they invite these other people, did they invite a, a special guest in this moment at this dinner party was a, uh, that was scheduled on the Sabbath, which was interesting because they were so against doing things on the Sabbath. And, and not only that, that Jesus violated the Sabbath three times prior to this. But there in the midst of them was conveniently a sick man who was present. Scripture says a man suffering from dropsy. Dropsy was a, a condition, a symptom where fluid was, would build up in the body. And it was evident just by looking at this person that there was inflammation. Their, their face was really just inflamed and it's full of liquid. Their whole body, it was evident just by looking at them. A lot of times it was just, it just it was because of either organ failure and it was pretty, pretty much terminal and this was a trap that they had set for him. They waited. They baited him. They were watching him closely to see what he was going to do on the Sabbath. And they thought they trapped him. They thought they had him. And I, and I love this about Jesus as we see in Scripture time and time again that he's always in control, right? Come on, look at your neighbor and say that Jesus is always in control. Come on. Jesus is always in control. Here, Jesus takes the initiative to direct the argument, to provide him the opportunity to teach the truth and glorify God. And he asks them this question here in verse 3. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? 
And the adversaries weren't able to ask this question because they know if they answered it, they, they would condemn themselves. If they said yes, that they would appear soft and hip, being a hypocrite regarding the strict measures that they've placed required for the Sabbath. But if they said no, they can be accused of being inhumane and not caring for their fellow man. And I love this because we see that Jesus knows humanity's heart. He knows what they're going to ask even before they even asked him. So he already asked the question, which brought them to the silence. And he brings his Pharisees this attention that if they acts of love toward their animal, animals in danger on the Sabbath are acceptable, why would not an act of love on a human being on the Sabbath be any less acceptable? Because they were willing to save their ox or their donkey if it fell into a pit on the Sabbath day, but yet this, this man who had dropsy, that the act of mercy and love towards this human being was considered, considered against the law on the Sabbath. Especially because man was created in the image of God. He's trying to show them like, hey, you don't have, you're inhumane. You're not seeing your common man as the image bearer of God. As we look deeper into scripture, as we're looking into what's going on in culture, this was fascinating when I was reading. It said this, that the man of dropsy could really be an insignificant detail. In other words, it could be a man who was lame, a woman who was, who was blind. It could have been any particular you know, element, element in that time. But yet, in the New Testament, specific, this specific condition that suggests that dropsy was not incidental at all. It was, it, was, it, was cute. it was really interesting to see that this is that rather the dropsy itself was actually key to the entire story as we continue to read on. The dropsy in that time period was actually used in ancient Greek world to particularly in the writings of philosophers as a metaphor for greed and wealth. For greed and wealth, that when this man who was there that Jesus healed and then sent away really embodied, it was a metaphor to who the Pharisees really were. And know at times we, as humanity, as a people, can be so greedy and self-serving, reaching for all that we can do. And a lot of us just need healing of that. I know I need healing that at times where I'm just trying to focus on me. And not necessarily looking at the needs of the people around me. And I love how kind and amazing Jesus is that he comes invited to the table. Heals this man of dropsy. And I'm thankful he's ready to heal us this morning. As he speaks to our hearts, as he exposes some things that we need to surrender unto him. Secondly, we see this that that we need to partake of his humility. Luke 14, 7, 11, the parable of the wedding feast. And he reads this and he says, Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose to, the places of honor, saying to them, When you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor. 
Let someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. When you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when you, your host comes, he may, say, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at a table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. And what I see here is this, is that when Jesus is really trying to share this with the Pharisees, that it's better to be humbled than to be humiliated. I remember uh, there was a banquet that we hosted that we participated in many years ago, our ENC banquet. That's our college ministry here at UTSA. And we have uh, chapters all throughout the world. And we went up to San Marcos because we were participating in this banquet. And we had food, and there was awards giving at this a banquet, and it was time in which we, sh we showed up, and we dressed up, you know, we took photos, and it was a really amazing time. And there was the time, the part of the banquet when awards were be giving out to the students who really represented, you know, different characteristics of God in that semester, where there was evangelism, where there was man, leading disciples, or whatever else it may be, but there's multiple different awards given. And we're there, and we're, we're looking at, you know, as they're calling the names, and one particular student in our ministry uh, was there, and, man, you can tell he was excited. Man, he was excited to be there. He was excited to, to be invited. And then his name, at least his first name, got called. I mean, his first name got called, and apparently the student that they were calling's last name, the, the, the person calling out the awards, couldn't pronounce their name, so there was some hesitancy, and it started with the same syllable as this student's last name, and so he starts going up to receive an award that wasn't his. And as soon as they said, finally got the last name out, he just turned left to the restroom, <laughs> right? And it was so funny. And it was so interesting at the same time, and we we're laughing. But there was this moment where, like, man, this is where he thought, man, I deserve this, this, you know, this reward. And as silly as this story is, the point is the same. As that believers, as disciples of Jesus, we are to humble ourselves daily. You first, Lord. I'm second. Let, let you increase in my life. Let me decrease. God, that I want more of you. Let me empty out myself so I can be full of you. Whatever platform, whatever providence, whatever place that the Lord has given us, recognize that he is the one who placed you there. It's him. All honor and glory to him. Not us, not ourselves, not what we can do. And in those moments when we, we go down and we humble ourselves, we don't do this with a, a manner of discontent and it's evident on your face that you don't want to be there. Right? We do this joyfully, understanding and being reminded of God and his place in our life. And there's something wonderful, being content in whatever place God allows you to have. 
Not with an attitude of, look all that I've done to make it to this point. Or I deserve something better. Not here. I think it's, it's easy for us to put a, a veneer, a facade of humility. But the Lord knows our heart and he knows when we're really operating out of place of submission and coming and being able to be humble. Instead, we, we come in and be able to be joyful and embracing the place, whether lower than we expect it. We come to a place of just understanding, like, man, I'm here for God. And where God has me, that's where I want to be. And looking at this text, is if the master of the feast were to raise us to a more prominent place, then it would be all the more satisfying. See, Jesus was the perfect one to teach on this subject because he fulfilled it perfectly. He's the ultimate example of someone who deserved the highest place but took the lowest place and was granted the highest place. This is what Philippians 2, 6-9 reads. It says this. It says, Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in an appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Jesus is the name above every name. There is no other name greater. There will never be another name greater than that name, that name, Jesus, not Austin, not Pastor Ben, not anyone else, but Jesus is that name. Yet he humbled himself, and he loved us so tremendously that he died for us. It's not about glorifying ourselves and making a good name for ourselves, although that is a good thing to have a good name that people to be proud of. But it's about making his name great by glorifying him each and every day in each and every area of our lives so that people, when they see me, they see Jesus. They don't see what Austin can do because Austin can only do so much. But the God who dwells in me and operates through me can complete and do far more than I can do. Glory to his name. So many times we reach for position and promotion and status. But we need to be reaching for humility. The best position to be in is the one that God has placed you in. Let me say that again. The best position to be in is the one that God has placed you in. Because why would you want to be in a place prematurely that you cannot uphold or steward the very thing that you think you deserve? I don't want to crack under the pressures of me stepping out, out of God's blessing. God, I want to be where you called me. And I want to serve and be humbled in doing so. There was a, a time when I went to go visit our church in D.C. It was many years ago, and it was an amazing. Our church just had this grand opening. We had a, a conference there. 
and we went in for the grand opening. And all I remember for this sermon was this, that the pastor said that the way to go up is to go down. If you want to go up, if you want to see God move and get exalted and be promoted and, 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 re, and reach to these different places, you have to go to a place of going down and serving and being humbled as our king was. It's been an ongoing joke with us over the last couple of years. We just will see each other and we just say, the way to go up is to go down. You know, and this is, there's moments in my life that I know I'm not going down enough. And still to this day, it's a struggle for me to even go further down. And I have to ask God, help me become more like you. Transform me from the inside out. Don't allow the opportunities and the positions that I have to, make me, to allow me to think that I'm better than I am. Allow me to keep going down to serve and love your people. Verse 11 says that he exalts those who are humble. Our last point is partake of his generosity. This is the parable of the, the great banquet here in verse 12 to 24. It said that he said to the man who invited him, he's talking to the host, when you give a dinner or banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or the relatives of the rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return you'll be repaid. When you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Man, there's this man, he's hearing this, and he's he, he knows that there's tension in the room. You have to understand that Jesus is calling them out, that they are they're not loving their fellow man as they should. They're not extending mercy and love. They're not being humbled. And so there is tension in the room as Jesus is talking, and he inserts himself to kind of ease the tension, the awkwardness. And he says, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Right? Like he's, he's trying to really cause Jesus to pretty much stop, pretty much disrupt what's happening. But Jesus, man, I'm thankful that Jesus presses through, that he continues, that he goes after the heart. And he continues to start telling a story about a man who prepared a massive, huge banquet for many people. And once everything was ready, he sent his servant to let his guests know it was time. So it says the servant went and they all gave him excuses. Man, I just got married. I bought ox. I did these things and I, I can't go. I can't make it. I got animals I need to check on. So the master tells the servant, go ahead and invite the poor, the blind, the crippled, and the lame. Let's skip down to verse 22. It says, and the servant said, sir, what you command has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highway, the hedges, compel people to come, 
and that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. As we look at verses 16 through 20, it says that he invited many. And during this time, it was customary to receive two invitations to a banquet like this one. The first one, it was just a reservation. Hey, just to let you know, there's a, there's a banquet happening. We want you to come out. We want you to be a part of it. And it was given in advance. The second one was given the day of. Unlike today, they didn't have technology. Uh, there's still, you know, there wasn't an actual time to be given. So they would let them know, hey, here shortly we're going to have the banquet. Everything is ready. Come. We want you to be a part. And for those guests, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the invitation came through the law, through the prophets, through the writings. But their second invitation was sitting at the table with them. And it was Jesus. By analogy, we can say that God has made it so that all things are now ready for men to come and receive him. We come to God and find that he has been ready for us. But what happens? Excuses are made, right? Just like in the parable, excuses are made. We, we just had a baby. I don't know. The Lord have called me to make disciples. I've, I've been really tired lately. You know, things have been getting crazy. I don't have time to read my Bible because, you know, I, I stay up really late at night. And it's hard for me to wake up in the morning. Uh, I've had, I have to talk about I have to talk this uh, over with my wife. These are all excuses I've made, by the way, for reasons why I, I don't do some of the things that God has called me to do or what he's inviting me to be a part of. And excuses are, are, are fashioned for convenience, right? And, and these are conveniences that we cling to in desperation. But what is great is that hope doesn't begin until excuses end. We have to let go of the excuses of why we can't do the things that God is calling us to do. Whether it's joining a life group, starting a life group, going to Kindle, being a part of a Ignite team. We can't make excuses because God is inviting us to be a part of something bigger. Spurgeon says it this way about excuses. Excuses are curses. And when you have no excuses left, there will be hope for you. As we keep on reading Luke 14, 18, 19, it says, I've bought a field. These are excuses about ox. These were not even good excuses, by the way. They, they remind me, I used to watch Saved by the Bill. I'm kind of aging myself a little bit. And there's this moment when they would ask a girl on a date, they're like, oh, I can't, I'm washing my hair. You know, as if they couldn't wash their hair another day or earlier. Like it took an all-day event. They really just should have said, hey, I'm not interested. I don't want to come. I don't want to be a part of this banquet. I'm preoccupied. And that's what happens, right? That's what happens when we buy things. That's what happens when other things come into place. And we're preoccupied with that thing versus the, the person who blesses with that thing. Third excuse, the man says, man, uh, I just got married. And he put family before everything. And church, listen carefully. 
We love our parents. We love our children and our families. And the world says to put them first. But that's idolatry. That's what it is. It's, it's idolatry. Idolatry is putting anything before God. That there is an order that our life should follow that is God and only God first. Then my family. Then everything else. But he must be first. It's funny because, you know, when Tori and I first got married, I told her that. I said, love, I love you. I love you with all my heart, but you will never be number one in my life. It would be God. Because he is the one who allows me to love you better. And if I put you first, I can't love you the way that you called me or God calls me to love you. I can't do that on my own. And the best thing that we can show our family is that they're not first on our lives, but that Jesus is. And only then are we able to love them better. I love this last part in verse 23. It says, compel them to come and that my house may be filled. Jesus said to compel, to indicate that God's desire to fill his house. And because those who were considered outcasts, ostracized, the Gentiles, the lame, the blind, the marginalized, all those that the Pharisees want nothing to do with, God said, my house, it has, there's enough room for all of them to be a part. Verse 24, it says, I tell you, not one of those men who were invited would get a taste of my banquet. He imagined the silence at that table as those last words Jesus uh, spoke settled into the room. This was a personal confrontation. He's essentially telling the Pharisees and the rulers and the lawyers in that place this, that they're doomed to judgment. They, they have declined God's invitation of his generosity, that they chose not to freely give without expectation. They, that they sought out selfish gain and never associated themselves with anyone lesser than themselves. You know, I, I used to think that Jesus came to this dinner only to shut them down and tell them how wrong they really were. But when we see his heart, that his heart really ached for their repentance. That he was pleading with them to say, hey, stop doing this. If you really look that I am the law, I came to fulfill the law, that you will see this is not how you're supposed to live. He was trying to avoid their judgment. It's in his generous and loving and humble nature to impart truth, even when he knows it will be rejected. That's how good our king is. This morning, the question for us, as we're hearing and reading these parables, is this. Will we accept his invitation? Or are we going to make excuses? It's simple as that. Are you going to accept the king's invitation to the banquet? Are you going to come? Are you going to come joyfully? Are you willing to humble yourself? Are you willing to be merciful and loving towards one another? Are you willing to be generous? Are you going to make excuses? Will you stand with me this morning?
I'm thankful that the Lord is generous to come to a sinner like me, undeserving of his grace and mercy. But yet because of who he is, not because of what I've done, because of who he is, the generous, humble, loving, merciful God, I have a seat at the table. And this morning, God is inviting you to come and be seated at his table. Will you receive his impartation of love and mercy and generosity? We're going to take this a quick moment, and we just want to ask God this. We want to invite God into this moment to really ask him, God, how can I show you love, mercy, or generosity this week to someone not in my circle of influence, not my family member, not my friend, not my, you know, just, just someone I'm familiar with. But God, how can I love someone the way you love them? How can I serve someone the way you served us? And the call to action is that you'll be obedient to what God shows you this week. Let's pray for that. Father God, we thank you that you're in this place. God, we thank you. God, that you call us to a standard of living that is unlike the world. God, that you sanctify us and you make us better. God, that you make us better students and teachers and, and workers because that you transform us from the inside, God. God, help us be humble this week. And serve your people well. God, that we wouldn't look at what would, how can we gain, but how can we give and live a life that would ultimately glorify you, Lord. God, thank you for the work on the cross. Lord, help us. Help us, Lord, be more like you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Super excited about Luminous Loves. And twice a month on Friday nights, we're going to be here serving food to those in need, care boxes, to families in our city. And so we're so excited for you to sign up. You can visit our table in the foyer where we have slots for you to fill out and sign up. And we're looking for 10 volunteers each Friday night. And as you come out, we're going to break bread, have dinner together before we serve meals. So it's a great way to build together. It's a great way for life groups to come together, for friends to come together, for serve teams to come together, or maybe just you. Maybe you aren't serving or volunteering in any capacity. Maybe this is a place that God has for you. So come check it out. Luminous Loves, Friday nights here at Hill Country Daily Bread.